We continue our study in Jude with yet another strange passage about angels and a proclamation about false teachers that the church was dealing with back in those days. They behaved as creatures of instinct not much different from animals. And this is one of those passages where the point is clear, but the illustration that they use, well, it's a little bit confusing. It undergirds a simple, understandable truth with a strange example that is found nowhere else in Scripture. Fortunately, we are given the examples of Sodom and Gomorrah to build upon within this context, and we discussed those topics last time. But that leads us into verse 8, once again, where it says, In the very same way, on the strength of their dreams, these ungodly people pollute their own bodies, reject authority, and heap abuse on celestial beings. I'm not going to go through the details of past messages right now, but verse 8, once again, is referencing the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. And you can think back to that last message. You recall that the that Lot's guests in Sodom were angels. And when the townspeople arrived, they demanded that these strangers be sent out so that they could abuse them. And in this context, the meaning of verse 8 is very clear because it says they heap abuse on celestial beings, and that is exactly what they intended to do right there. They had no fear whatsoever that these visitors may have been sent from God. So in verse 6, we observed how the angels heaped abuse upon humans, and in verse 8, we are learning that people heap abuse upon heavenly beings. Verse 10 speaks of the false teachers when it says, these people slander whatever they do not understand, and the very things they do understand by instinct, as irrational animals do, will destroy them. In the instance of Sodom and Gomorrah, it is very easy to understand what the author was referring to. The people of the city behaved as irrational animals that were just marching around as though it was mating season. They were totally given over to their carnal instincts, which they had even perverted those. But to understand what Jude is really writing about, we must remember what he had said earlier in his own letter. But before mentioning that, I would like to pause from this lesson and explain something. One of the greatest tools for understanding a book in the Bible is patience. We need to learn to sit and read an entire book of the Bible all the way through. Unfortunately, that's easy to do with Jude. It's only 25 verses long. And you'll be amazed at how much more the books of the Bible make sense when you read one from beginning to end. So I challenge those of you who are listening to this me message to try reading an entire book of the Bible in one or two sittings. You'll be able to make incredible connections throughout the book that you have never made before. So going back to Jude, we're going to look back at verse 4, that Jude wrote 
of the false teachers. He said, They are ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into a license for immorality and deny Jesus Christ our only sovereign and Lord. So everything we have read thus far in these few verses are all connected. It is a reminder that the false teachers of old, the false teachers of Jude's day, and even the false teachers of today all have similar motivations. They reframe the gospel message in such a way that enables them to behave in an immoral fashion. I don't know if you recall Reverend Jeremiah Wright. If not, he was Barack Obama's pastor prior to him taking office. He's the pastor of Trinity United Church of Christ, and this is a church where he ministers to 8,000 congregants. You might recall that he made some controversial statements about America when he made it onto the national stage. And in fairness, everyone's entitled to their own opinions, so I'm not going to comment about what he had to say about that. Um, but I would say that Jeremiah Wright definitely qualifies as a false teacher. Aside from his use of a liberal strain of theology known as liberation theology, I remember hearing a story about Reverend Wright where he was approached by a couple, a married couple, that was looking to him for marriage counseling. They had some struggles and so they trusted their pastor to be able to guide them through. So they sit down with them, but instead of encouraging them to reconcile, what he persuaded the wife to do was to distance herself from her husband, and then eventually he told her to divorce him. Now, I don't know exactly what the circumstances were, whether the husband was abusive or doing something that was immoral and would be okay, justifiable for him to get, for uh, them to get a divorce in a biblical sense. What I do know is that after Jeremiah Wright convinced this woman to divorce her husband, he then took this divorced woman that he told to get a divorce as his own wife. So Jeremiah married the woman that he was counseling to get a divorce from her husband. So this is pretty sinister stuff right here. And I just can't, in my own mind, understand how we can look at him as a serious minister of the faith. And I heard of another example of a false teacher. And this one I heard about from Pastor Chuck Swindoll. He shared about this in one of his messages where he encountered a woman on a flight to California. She was with her husband and he was doing something very bizarre. He was laying down across the seats. And as uh, Pastor Swindoll spoke with the wife of this couple, she revealed to him that they were on their way to go see a faith healer, that her husband had a terminal illness, and this was their last resort. Pastor Swindoll, upon hearing about this, told the woman to be cautious about the situation, but then he also gave her his business card and said, if the healing is successful, to give him a call and let him know all about it. And it's been many decades later since this had happened, and Pastor Chuck Swindoll has still not received a call. So, the woman who had claimed that she could perform this faith healing was just a charlatan who was taking advantage of people who were vulnerable. 
So, we've addressed Jude 8. We have talked about Jude 10, but I have not touched Jude 9. It says, Even the archangel Michael, when he was disputing with the devil about the body of Moses, did not himself dare to condemn him for slander, but said, The Lord rebuke you. What's this all about? Well, this is one of those instances inside Jude where the author cites an extra-biblical source known as Assumption of Moses. This was an ancient work where only small fragments have survived up until this day. Now, how do I take this citation from the Bible regarding this extra-biblical source? My understanding is if the Holy Spirit has put it into canonical scripture, then at least part of the story must be true. The part that is included inside the Bible must actually be true. Now, having said that, there is a reason that the source from which it came is not included in the canon of scripture. Now, we'll get into that more as I talk about the book of Enoch. In this story, Assumption of Moses, the devil wanted to claim ownership over the body of Moses. And there are two theories as to why. The first one was that Moses was a murderer. Remember, he killed an Egyptian back in Egypt when he was protecting Hebrew slaves. And thus, that made him into a murderer and his body rightfully belonged to Satan. The second theory is that Satan considers himself the lord of the earth and feels entitled to everybody's body, even to that of Moses. Now, Michael was the one to dispute Satan. Michael is an archangel. This means that he was chief amongst the heavenly host, and there's even a part in Daniel where he's referred to as a great prince. Despite Michael's own authority, he did not call rank against the devil. He did not bring slanderous charges against him. Michael recognized the dignified position that even Satan had as an angel from heaven. So instead of bringing Michael's own authority against the enemy, he rebuked him in the name of the Lord. And this reminded the devil that Moses' body belonged to God simply because God said so. And the point of this verse is that even angels exercise caution in speaking ill of other angels. And yet, humans who are created lower than the angels blaspheme the name of God by exercising no discretion in falsely claiming his name. People then proceed to do that which disgusts God. Now, is their blasphemy intentional or unintentional? The truth be told... It really is inconsequential for humans to act indecently against God. Whether they are aware of it or not, they are defiling the very image of God in which we are created. We've sinned, we've fallen short, and we've transgressed and gone too far. And because we are created in the image of God, we are to behave according to the nature of God. Now, I'm talking about Jesus. The Apostle John wrote in his gospel, in John 1.11, he, referring to Jesus, 
came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. So on the one hand, you had the Pharisees demanding that Jesus be crucified, and on the other hand, you have Pontius Pilate and the Romans who beat him and washed their hands of his blood. All of it was for the sake of personal gain and self-preservation. The false teachers of our day play a dangerous game. They want to inherit the world while forfeiting their souls. In fact, some of them don't even believe in souls. Many of them play the church game solely for their own enrichment. They have learned how to craft messages and services that get people emotional and make them vulnerable to the promptings of their own agenda. At the end of the day, they do not hesitate to say that their ministry was conducted through the Holy Spirit of God. When the truth is, the Spirit of God never knew them, nor the false works that they performed. In context, this is actually what Jesus referred to as the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Now, is it any wonder that Jude and the other apostles warn of the everlasting consequences of bearing false witness? I'd like to thank you for joining me for today's sermon. My name is Bill Sang from Faith Presbyterian Church. You can join us on Sunday mornings at Faith at 10.30 in the morning. Please don't forget to like, share, and subscribe.